Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. On the morning of Friday, March 12th, 1982, 63-year-old Carl Croft got up at his usual time at 4 a.m. to do his chores before he went off to work. Having lived on the small rural Nova Scotia property all his life, Carl's daily routine rarely changed. He would feed the dog, the horse, and the sheep, and then eat breakfast before catching his ride to his job in Liverpool at the Steel and Engine Company, which specialized in repairing fishing boat engines and repairing hulls. As usual, on that particular cold and misty spring morning, Carl left his house at 7.15 and walked down River Road to meet his ride. River Road was an isolated dirt road that saw little traffic. So Carl was surprised when he spotted a truck pulled off to the side in the ditch. Everyone in the area drove a truck of some sort, but Carl didn't recognize the half-ton Jeep. Moving closer to the driver's side of the truck, Carl noticed something on the door. It looked like blood. Someone must have been in an accident, he thought, as he looked around. Then, peering into the cab of the truck, he saw someone lying against the driver's side of the door. There was more blood everywhere. Carl knew right away that the person inside the truck was already dead, because whoever he was, his head was gone. By 7.30 a.m., officers from the local RCMP detachment arrived at the isolated spot on River Road. At the scene, they found a grey AMC truck with Nova Scotia license plates. Inside the truck was an unknown male who had been decapitated. The cab was splattered with blood and brains, like an explosion had occurred. The keys were still in the ignition, and outside on the ground, near the driver's side door, was more blood, brain matter, and a set of false teeth. 
By 8.15 a.m., the local coroner arrived and determined that the victim had likely been killed by a gunshot blast to his face. Sadly, there had been a number of suicides in the area in the previous year. And initially, this looked like another one. Except for one small problem. There was no gun. At 8.30 a.m., Corporal Howard Howie Pike was on the scene. The 35-year-old officer had been with the RCMP for 15 years and had worked at the local Liverpool detachment for the past four. He knew most of the locals, and he recognized the grey pickup truck right away. It was Billy Stafford's truck. Stafford lived about 10 kilometres up River Road in the tiny hamlet of Bangs Falls. Looking into the truck, there was no face to see. But judging by the clothing and the size of the body, Corporal Pike was sure it was Billy Stafford. And he was sure he'd been murdered. Couldn't have happened to a better guy, thought Pike. No one was going to be sad that Billy Stafford was dead. Three days later, his common-law wife, Jane, was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. That woman deserves a medal, said the local police sergeant. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a marriage that ended in a brutal death. A woman who, after years of physical, sexual, and mental abuse, finally struck back. But was it murder or self-defense? Her story would catapult the issue of domestic violence into the public consciousness, and her murder trial would become a landmark legal case that would force the police and the courts to re-examine how intimate partner abuse was treated in Canada. This is Pushed to the Limit, the Jane Stafford story. Stop him! I'm teaching my son a lesson. But Jane, why do you want to kill Billy? I'll sell you off your family. What's one by one? Queens County, Nova Scotia, lies midway between Halifax and Yarmouth on the southwest shore of the Atlantic province. With its beautiful sandy beaches, unspoiled rivers, and lush Acadian forests, the area is a well-known summer destination for Canadians and Americans. Liverpool, the county's largest city, was founded in 1759 and was the only place in British North America to be settled by descendants of the Mayflower. It eventually became the fourth largest shipping and shipbuilding port in Canada. But after World War II, the economic prosperity of the area declined, and most families relied on the fishing and logging industries. And it was in post-war Queens County where Jane Marie Hirschman was born on January 25, 1949. 
She was the second of what would eventually be four children in the Hirschman household. Her father, Maurice, worked in the local sawmill and carried wood home every night to heat their home that had no indoor toilet or running water. A year after Jane's birth, her father joined the Canadian Army and was shipped to Korea. When he returned in 1952, he stayed in the military as an army chef. But military life meant constant upheaval, and the family moved every few years, first to Truro, Nova Scotia, and then to New Brunswick, and eventually to West Germany for three years. With four children, money was tight, and Jane's dad began drinking more heavily. And when he drank, he would often be physically abusive to Jane's mother. When her parents fought, Jane would protect her two younger sisters, hoping her father's wrath didn't turn on them. Drinking, arguing, and physical abuse seemed to be the norm with many of the other military families that Jane knew, and her dad's drinking was a constant source of conflict within the family. At school, Jane got straight A's, but became more quiet and withdrawn as she matured. In 1964, when Jane was 15, the Hirschmans returned to Canada and settled in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Jane hated the harsh winter, and the following summer, she moved back to Liverpool, Nova Scotia, to live with her grandparents. After years of moving and dealing with her father's alcoholism and abuse, Jane finally felt safe and knew she would never return to her parents' home. She wanted a much different life. Jane loved being back in Nova Scotia. It felt like home. She returned to high school and started dating a local boy named Marty, who was nine years older than her. Then, two months after turning 16, Jane discovered she was pregnant. She and Marty got married and moved in with his grandparents. On October 9, 1965, Jane gave birth to a baby boy they named Alan. Jane was thrilled to be a new mother but her husband didn't seem interested in her or the baby. He began spending more time at the local tavern than at home with them. Jane took a job at a local grocery store while Marty's grandparents cared for the baby. A few years later, when Alan began kindergarten, Jane also decided to go back to school. She had always dreamed of being a nurse, but she needed to get her high school diploma first. In 1972, Jane gave birth to another baby boy they named Jamie. She was happy that seven-year-old Alan now had a baby brother. But by that time, her marriage was on the rocks. Marty had lost his job because of his heavy drinking, and he was having an affair. She stuck it out for a few more years, and by the beginning of 1976, 
she'd finally had enough. Jane wanted a divorce, but Marty did not. And in 1976, a divorce was not automatic. You had to have grounds. Jane couldn't prove Marty's affair, and he had never been physically abusive. She was at her wit's end, so she decided to do something that would force Marty into divorcing her. She was going to have an affair with one of his friends. And she knew just the right guy. She had met him a few times and had even opened up to him about her marriage problems. He seemed kind, and he was a good listener. Within a few short weeks, Jane was living with her husband's good friend. His name was Billy Stafford. Lamont William Billy Stafford was born on Thursday, February 13th, 1941. Later in life, he would claim that he had been born on Friday the 13th and had the power of the devil. The second oldest of six children, the Staffords lived in a modest home in Liverpool, Nova Scotia. Billy's dad ran a successful junkyard business and his mother ran a strict household. Friends who grew up with Billy remember a kid who always had a nasty streak and wasn't afraid to use his fists. When he was a teenager, Billy dropped out of high school and went to work on the boats as a merchant seaman. In 1962, at the age of 21, Billy married his pregnant girlfriend, Pauline Oikel. The couple had five children in six years, before Pauline was granted a divorce on the grounds of cruelty. Billy would beat Pauline and the children on a regular basis. After trying to drown her by submerging her head in a bucket of water, Pauline took their children and fled to Ontario. When Billy discovered she had left, he beat her mother in an attempt to find out where she had gone. And while he begged her to come back, she never did. Two years after his first wife left him, Billy Stafford began living with another woman named Faith Hatt. And while Billy could be very charming at the beginning of his relationships, it didn't take long for his dark side to emerge. Within a few months of moving in together, Billy was beating Faith. After discovering she was pregnant, she knew she had to escape for her own safety and that of her unborn child. With the help of her family, she moved to Calgary and prayed Billy Stafford would never find her. Billy Stafford was an intimidating presence at six feet tall and over 250 pounds. He was the well-known bully of Queens County, and people in the area knew not to cross him. The local police knew him well too, since Billy Stafford seemed to think most laws didn't apply to him. 
he had been arrested numerous times for drunk driving and driving without a license. Billy hated the local RCMP and often bragged to his friends that he wouldn't hesitate to shoot a cop if they ever came near his home. And anyone who knew Billy also knew that he had a lot of guns and locals didn't doubt he would use them. The man was a tyrant and there were even rumors around town that he had murdered another fisherman by throwing him overboard during a heated argument. In fact, Billy bragged about the deed, but the police could never prove he had been involved. But they say love is blind, and despite his less-than-stellar reputation, Jane had fallen for the big, burly guy who made her feel safe. Life with Billy in the beginning was good. By May of 1976, Jane's divorce from Marty was finalized, and she and Billy moved into a big old house that she fixed up. Billy was attentive and generous, but Jane missed her children. Marty had taken the boys and refused to let Jane see them. He was going to make her pay for leaving him and moving in with his friend. And he knew the family court system would back him up. After all, Jane had left the marriage and had admitted to infidelity, which in rural Nova Scotia, circa 1976, meant that Jane was seen as an unfit parent. Billy encouraged her not to be upset about the children and even suggested they have one of their own. He flushed her birth control down the toilet, and by August, eight months into their relationship, Jane was pregnant. Billy seemed happy with the news, and while they decided not to get legally married, Jane began using Billy's surname. It was a whole new beginning, and she was now Jane Stafford. But as Jane's pregnancy progressed, something seemed to shift in Billy. The more she began to show, the less he took her out. Soon, he was spending more time away from home drinking. And when he was home, he would criticize her for gaining weight, calling her a cow. On May 24, 1977, Jane gave birth to a healthy baby boy she named Darren. Billy was out to sea when the baby was born and didn't come to see her in the hospital until a few days after he had returned. Billy was unhappy the baby was a boy and told Jane he didn't want anything to do with him. She was hopeful he would change his mind once they got the baby home. But things went from bad to worse. Billy was not interested in their son and continued to criticize Jane. And a month after the baby was born, Billy and Jane had to leave their rented house that Jane had spent so much time fixing up. Friends offered them a plot of land near Bangs Falls. So Billy purchased a cabin for $1,000 and had it shipped to the lot. 
It wasn't much, but Jane worked hard to make it a nice home. Billy's moods continued to fluctuate, especially when he was drinking. But Jane learned to stay out of his way and enjoyed the times when he was away at sea. When Darren was six months old, Billy's verbal abuse finally turned physical. Accusing Jane of flirting with one of his friends, he began slapping, punching, and kicking her while calling her every foul name he could come up with. Jane didn't understand what she had done wrong, but believed she must have done something to provoke such an attack. Naturally, the following morning, Billy apologized and promised it would never happen again. But it did, over and over again. And according to Billy, it was always Jane's fault. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Over the next few years, Jane endured regular beatings. And by the time he was three years old, Darren had also become a victim of his father's wrath. Billy would slap him, pick him up by the hair, beat him with a mop handle, And if the child dared to cry, 
he would get more. Mealtimes were the worst. With Darren being so nervous around his father, he couldn't hold a cup steady without spilling it. And if he didn't finish all of his food, Billy would force-feed him until he vomited. Then Darren would have to eat his own vomit. The only peaceful, happy times for Jane and Darren were when Billy was away on the boats. But by 1980, Billy had been fired from the fishing boats and blacklisted. He began working on oil tankers, but that job soon evaporated when his temper got him into trouble with co-workers. By 1981, he declared he wasn't working anymore, and Jane, whom he always referred to as old woman, would have to support them. Jane did as she was told. She had learned early on in her relationship with Billy Stafford not to argue or rock the boat. Billy Stafford had complete control over his wife and child, and he reigned over his kingdom as a cruel and violent dictator. Like her mother, Jane always hoped that if she went along with everything he wanted, their lives would get better. But they never did. Fortunately, Jane had one enjoyable outlet in her life, and that was her job at Hillsview Acres Retirement Home, where she cooked for the residents. She didn't tell anyone what her home life was like, and she covered her bruises with makeup. But at least her work gave her valuable time away from Billy and their home that she had come to view as her prison. Jane and her son Darren had endured years of abuse at the hands of Billy Stafford, and things weren't getting any better. In fact, they were getting worse because not only was Billy drinking, he was also using drugs. He had beaten her unconscious numerous times. But on the day he fired a gun at her, narrowly missing her head, Jane knew that if she didn't leave, he would eventually kill her. Gathering all her strength, Jane informed Billy she was leaving him. You can leave me any time you want, old woman, said Billy, laughing. But if you go, you'll be coming back, and you'll bring that little bastard with you, he continued. Or I'll start shooting that precious family of yours one by one. Jane knew Billy would follow through on his threats. She was a hostage in her own home, and there was no way out. In that moment, Jane felt completely defeated. Any scrap of hope she had was gone. Billy Stafford had finally beaten her down. She had nothing left. She would stay, and he would kill her. It was just a matter of time. Jane felt totally trapped. But what could she do? She couldn't go to the police because she knew that they rarely got involved in domestic disputes and husbands 
rarely went to prison for assaulting their wives. Over half of the women killed in Canada in the early 1980s were murdered by their husbands. But still, the police and the courts did very little to protect battered women. Billy's two previous wives had had to flee the province in order to get away from him. But if she left, Jane believed he would kill her family. Her only escape, she thought, was suicide. But she couldn't leave her son Darren behind to be raised by Billy. And Darren was the only person that gave her the strength to keep going. She had to survive for him. And there was only one way that was going to happen. Billy Stafford had to die. Jane decided she was going to hire someone to kill Billy. It was the only way out of the nightmare she was living in. But what did she know about hiring a hitman? And who could she find to do the deed? There certainly wasn't a shortage of people who hated Billy Stafford. But could someone be talked into a murder for hire? Jane eventually got up the nerve to ask a local drug dealer she had met a few times. She offered him $20,000 for the job, the full amount of Billy's life insurance. And while the guy had little time for Billy Stafford, he turned her down. He didn't want anything to do with a murder. He suggested she go to the police, but Jane knew that wouldn't fix her problem. The police would give Billy a warning, and in turn, he would put her in an early grave. Jane became resigned to her fate. There was no way out. Every morning that Jane woke up in bed next to Billy Stafford, she prayed that she would get through the day alive. And March 11, 1982, was just another one of those days. Jane had the day off from her job, which meant she could catch up on laundry and cleaning. And at least Billy was preoccupied with a project. He had decided he was going to raise some pigs and was building a pig pen behind the barn. But their next-door neighbor, Margaret Jodry, was not happy with Billy's decision. The stench from the pigs would be horrible. That afternoon, Margaret Jodry confronted Billy and told him that she had contacted a lawyer to help her, and she had also called the police to report an earlier incident when Billy had shot at her trailer. After five years of living next door to Stafford, Margaret was fed up. He was a bully, and he terrorized everyone, including her and her husband, who had given him the lot to put up his house in the first place. But Billy Stafford wasn't accustomed to being told what he could and couldn't do, and he wasn't going to listen to an old lady. Billy turned on the woman and told her to get the hell out of his house. "'You better have a good day, you old bitch,' he yelled after her, "'because you'll never live to see another one.'" Watching the confrontation, 
Jane could see that Billy was furious. His face was red, his eyes were bulging, and he was even foaming at the mouth. All the telltale signs of his uncontrollable rage. Give me some money, old woman. I'm going to town, he told Jane after he had chased Margaret Jodry away. Jane tried to reason with him. The only money she had was for the truck insurance that was due the following week. But that wasn't the right answer. Billy slapped her across the face, spat at her, and then took the money out of her purse. And before he left, he threw the clean laundry Jane had just finished outside into the mud. That should give you something to do until I get back, he said, as he slammed the door behind him. Jane looked over at her five-year-old son, Darren, who had witnessed the exchange. The two of them didn't speak a word. The look on his face said everything. Jane picked up the dirty laundry and started washing it again. Later that day, Billy returned. He was drunk, but he wanted to go visit a friend. Jane would have to drive. By 8.30 that night, they were driving back home when Billy suddenly announced he had a plan. He told Jane he was going to burn down Margaret Jodry's trailer. When Margaret turns her lights off tonight, it will be lights out for good for her, he laughed. I'm going to pour gas all around her trailer and watch them burn. They'll never get out. Billy kept laughing as Jane kept driving. She knew he was serious about his threat against Margaret and her husband. And I'll deal with that son of yours at the same time, he added. I've waited a long time to deal with him, so I might as well clean them up all at once. Billy was referring to Alan, Jane's 16-year-old son from her previous marriage, who had been staying with them on and off. By the time they pulled into their driveway, Billy had passed out. Jane sat quietly in the truck, waiting to see if he would wake up. It was one of his rules. Jane wasn't allowed to get out of the truck until he gave her permission to go into the house. Sitting there in the dark, Jane thought about what she should do. Margaret Jodry had been a good friend to her, and she didn't want to see her get hurt. And 16-year-old Alan was no match for Billy. Maybe she could warn them. But if Billy found out, they'd all be dead. Rain pelted the hood of the truck. Jane looked over at the 250-pound hulk of a man next to her. He was a monster who had terrorized her for the past six years. He had beat her unconscious, knocked her teeth out, shot at her, degraded her sexually, abused their young son, and had threatened to kill her whole family if she ever left. And now he was threatening to burn their neighbors alive and harm her eldest son. 
Maybe she wasn't worth anything. At least that's what he had instilled in her with every beating. But she was not going to let him hurt other people. Fuck it, thought Jane. She was not going to live in terror anymore. She honked the truck horn to wake up her son, Alan. When he appeared at the door, she rolled down the window. Get the gun and load it, she said. Alan ran back inside and loaded a 12-gauge single shotgun, one of seven guns Billy owned. He handed it to his mother and then went back inside the house. Moments later, he heard a single gunshot. He ran back outside to see his mother standing by the open window of the truck. He couldn't see Billy. Jane gave Alan the gun. She then asked him to get her some clean clothes and to call her parents. She needed them to meet her at a remote location about 10 kilometers from their home. Then, Jane got back in the truck. Get rid of the gun, she yelled before driving away. At the end of the property, Jane drove by Margaret's trailer and noticed a light on. Margaret and her husband were probably still up playing cards. Gripping the steering wheel tighter, and trying not to focus on what lay beside her on the seat of the pickup truck, Jane suddenly felt a strange sense of relief. Margaret and her husband were safe. Her sons were safe. And she was free. Nobody knew it yet, but Billy Stafford's reign of terror was finally over. On the next episode of Push to the Limit, the Jane Stafford story. Jane is arrested and charged with the murder of 41-year-old Billy Stafford, even though the local police and many others think she did them all a favor. And while her defense lawyer suggests a manslaughter plea, the Queens County Crown Attorney's Office is determined to convict her of first-degree murder and send her to prison for life. In what would become a landmark case relating to how the police and courts treated victims of domestic violence in Canada in the 1980s, Jane Stafford would become the unlikely hero of thousands of other women across the country suffering in silence and too afraid to speak out. Jane had lived through years of unimaginable abuse until she finally fought back. But was the killing of her abuser justified? How would the criminal justice system deal with Jane Stafford? And what price would she ultimately pay? This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. 
Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.